0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend from the city that never sleeps, Las Vegas. Some of the top dairy producers from across the country gathered here this week for the 2023 Milk Business Conference. And here's what we have in store over the next 60 minutes. Corn futures hitting a three-year low as dairy prices also sink. We've never
2: really seen a situation where supply was not great and probably had it lower, but demand has been equally or not up to the task either.
1: The bright spot? Well, that may be beef on dairy, so how long could cattle prices soar?
3: I think that story will emerge, and I'm very bullish as we look towards the spring.
1: Embracing change with a laser focus on technology.
4: Anything that uh, will reduce stress and make them um, more comfortable
5: is the key for us.
1: We'll introduce you to the 2023 Milk Business Conference leader in technology and in John's world.
5: Settling an estate may be an
0: oxymoron. U.S. Farm Report presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer. What's next happens here.
1: Now for the news, it's a big topic here at the Milk Business Conference, a trade dispute settlement panel rejecting a U.S. complaint that Canada is improperly limiting access to its dairy market. That panel set up to look at the issue under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Dairy groups here now working with United States Trade Representatives Office and USDA to look at all available legal options to address what the industry sees as Canada's continued harmful actions that depress dairy imports. Although dairy market access for the US was small, industry experts say this allows Canada to restrict what the US negotiated in the trade pact. They also say the decision weakens the agreements of value to the US dairy industry.
3: What it is more impactful than anything is the fact that Canada can get away uh, once again with uh, negotiating an outcome and then renegotiating like legal terms to avoid uh, compliance.
1: Well, House Ag Committee leadership also reacting negatively to the announcement. Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson and ranking member David Scott released a statement saying, quote, we are disappointed in the decision of the dispute panel and it's critical the U.S. encourage and enforce USMCA and this decision allows Canada to continue their questionable protectionist practices that disallow fair access to Canadian markets. We appreciate Ambassador Tai and the Biden administration's continued pursuit to ensure fair market access for U.S. dairy producers, end quote. <laughs> cattle prices making some big gains earlier this week following fresh reports of a shrinking cattle herd. Oklahoma State Livestock Marketing Specialist Daryl Peel saying that he thinks the beef cow herd on January 1st of next year could be the smallest since 1961. Right now, he's estimating herd numbers to fall between 2 and 2.5%. Two and a, a year ago, USDA said there were just under 29 million head in the U.S. That was down 4% from 2022. Peel says given recent prices, he would have expected decent numbers at auction. That just hasn't been the case this fall.
6: If you look specifically at this fall during our, you know, so-called fall run of calves, if you will, but we're down about 13 to 14% year over year. Uh, Cull cow volumes are down even more. They're down close to 50% uh, in Oklahoma auctions. And even the volume of, uh, you know, replacement cattle, uh, bred cows and so on is down significantly year over year.
1: The Biden administration is allocating millions of dollars to address methane emissions from California's dairy cows. It's offering up to two grants totaling more than $44 million, $21 million for California dairies, and almost $23 million of that to the Dairy Farmers of America, or DFA. The funds are intended for the creation of feed additives that can reduce methane emissions from cows. There's also carbon credits being offered to incentivize farmers to adopt climate-focused changes. California has set a goal of reducing methane emissions in the dairy industry by 40% by the year 2030. A U.S. appeals court has struck down the EPA's decision to deny small refiners so-called hardship waivers. Those waivers exempted them from the nation's biofuel mandate. You'll remember earlier this year, the EPA denied most of the outstanding petitions from oil refiners. The refiners had argued the federal requirements to blend ethanol and other biofuels into their fuels, would cause them financial hardship. A coalition representing farmers and ethanol producers responded to the ruling. They say, while they're disappointed, this is not the final word on the issue.
5: And most importantly, there's a a lawsuit pending in the D.C. Circuit Court. And that's really where this all belongs. This is an issue. The RFS is an issue
6: that is national in scope. The small refinery exemptions are, are national in scope.
1: Cooper says that lawsuit will be heard early next year and will sort out where EPA goes from here on SREs. That's it for the news. Will the Southeast finally seen a drink of rain? We'll have a check of your weather coming up next. And now for the holidays, you have a chance to sign up to win Case IH Holiday Giveaway. Each lucky winner will get a Case IH prize pack full of great gifts. And one lucky winner will be drawn each day from Monday, December 18th Through Friday, December 22nd, we will announce those winners on Ag Day. Then the grand prize, that finale, that winner, announced on U.S. Farm Report on December 23rd through the 24th, they will win a Farmall C pedal tractor. To enter, head on over to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com.
0: U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing. The new PS6138 Power Spread Live Bottom Vertical Beater Manure Spreader has a 373-cubic-foot heaped capacity, 5-eighths-inch grade 80 marine log chain and removable vertical beater assembly with half-inch flighting and replaceable blades. Find out more at the H&S website.
1: Time now for a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht. Matt, the southeast seen some much-needed rain, also seen some more moisture in the middle of the country this week. So, are we seeing the pattern shift after such a dry summer and fall in those areas?
7: Well, we're trying. Uh, similar to what we had in the summer, uh, we're trying to get some moisture in and across uh, the United States, and uh, it's going to kind of come in in different phases. But nothing that's really going to kind of eat into uh, in a, a large amount of uh, precipitation moving across the United States. Now that being said, where you see the brown is obviously where we're below normal, the drier conditions. Check out what's going on over here on the West Coast, and we're going to pick up not only some Pacific moisture, but enough lift in the atmosphere uh, to bring uh, not only rain but also. Uh, good amount of snowfall up into the higher terrain back out here towards the west. Now eventually this is going to try to work across the United States but between December 5th and 9th if we're looking for any kind of precipitation uh, it'll be maybe some light snow but nothing substantial during that time period. The other part of this is the temperature outlook between the 5th and the 9th. ridge of high pressure starting to build uh, which is where again now that warmth is going to be seen into the Dakotas, uh, not so much on the East Coast as a trough lifts off to the Northeast, uh, but with the combination uh, of the Pacific moisture in a trough trying to dig back off here on the West Coast up over the ridge that's going to develop. That's why this is going to be the pocket of some heavy precipitation, uh, especially some heavy snow up in the higher elevations. So estimated rainfall over the next to seven days. Some of this could be snow as well. Look at the contour back here on the West Coast. Pretty dry through the middle part of the country. And then on the East Coast, we're going to get a couple of systems that are going to try to move through, now pick up maybe an inch of rain Possibly some snow. This is over the next seven days. It's all about everything kind of coming together just right for snow over on the East Coast. Otherwise, a pretty dry start to December, and here's one of the reasons why the jet stream, as we go into next week, will continue to support warmer than average conditions where that ridge develops. So you got a soft ridge trying to develop here, but especially right there. That's the ridge, and then we open up the Pacific moisture, which is one of the reasons why uh, we have a heavy rainfall in and across parts of Oregon, and into Washington. By Tuesday and Wednesday, a weak clipper system is going to dive down to the east in its wake. That's going to set up that next ridge and the above average high temperatures Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of next week. So really the only shot of some, I'd say significant rainfall, possibly some snow is going to be with this uh, clipper system. It's not going to dig all that far down to the south and exit off towards the east. So above average conditions starting as early as Wednesday, but carrying us all the way through most of the weekend.
1: Thanks, Matt. Well, South American weather really the focus of the markets right now. So is the crop really in trouble in South America? That's next as our marketing roundtables happen from the Milk Business Conference next.
0: U.S. Farm Report on the road from the Milk Business Conference is brought to you by Rabo Finance. Discover how local relationship managers and global sector expertise can help you address challenges and seize opportunities. Rabo Agri Finance, let's talk. And by Pivot Bio Proven 40, a better nitrogen for corn.
1: Well, welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Excited to be here at the Milk Business Conference in Las Vegas. We have Dan Bossi with Ag Resource Company. We also have Phil Plourd of EverAg and Lucas Fries with Rabo Research. We're going to get into milk prices, dairy demand, we're going to do it all. But one of the biggest pain points for dairy producers over the past couple years has been feed prices. When you look at grain prices today, Dan, is there some serious trouble in South America?
3: Well, there is. I mean, we've got this drought going on in northern Brazil. The Amazon River is at a record low. You know, again, this needs to go on. We've only got 80% of the soybean crop in the ground as we see it today. So, you know, as we think about the future, it's very key. But the month of December and January weather will determine how bad is bad. But we're not happy. I have some Brazilian farmers that have already planted corn, first crop corn and soybeans, uh, maybe three or four times. So it's a problem that we need to watch. It would completely change the grain and feed markets should Brazil have a problem.
1: It would completely change. I mean, you look at Argentina last year, we saw the drought impacts, but that largely impacted Argentina. You look at Brazil, I mean, are you trimming back your forecast right now for both corn we, and soybeans? We, we are,
3: right? We started out at 163 million metric tons on beans, our team being in the fields, are down to 156. I need to get under like 151 or 150 if I'm really gonna get the bean and meal market going even more. Uh, Meals already got a bid today because of last year in Argentina, but it's things that should keep you up at night. Weather globally and in Brazil today is not normal.
1: Well, we've been talking about it. Milk price is not pretty, especially when you look compared to a year ago. Um, So as you said today, you're looking at declining cow numbers, Bill. Do you think that we will see milk prices start to trend higher into 2024?
2: I think they'll be better. Um, I think that. For the first time in the years that I've been looking at dairy markets, we've never really seen a situation where supply was not great and probably headed lower, but demand has been equally or not up to the task either. And so in a vacuum, if we said, hey, look, U.S. milk production is down a half a percent and Europe is barely break even and New Zealand's not doing well, what's the milk price? I'd say, well, it's going to be $20 or something like that. Um, this is, we do not have oversupply anywhere in the world right now, uh, but we have a lot of under demand, and that's been really holding the markets back. I don't think the supply is going to get any better anytime soon, um, but the demand has to
8: pick up if we're going to see some fireworks.
1: Lucas, do you think there is a demand problem right now?
8: I think it's absolutely true. If you look at the health of the consumer in the U.S., if you look at our foreign markets, which are a big share of where we're exporting almost 20% of our product to, we're seeing signs of uh, kind of worrying demand all around the world. And like Phil said, I think it is almost kind of miraculous when we look at the U.S. or the European Union or New Zealand, all these key areas. For once, it's nice to not have a a burdensome oversupply, so it's it's up to demand to pick up.
1: When we were at World Dairy Expo, Dan, you talked about you know, you are bullish on, on, on protein into 2024. Is that still the case?
8: No, we, are,
3: we, we see 2024 as a year of protein. We think that beef prices will reach re- record highs. We see the pork market finally starting to turn as there's more liquidation. Poultry has a story. So I'm bullish of protein. I think milk protein could have a sp- place at the table, but we need the powder market to come along if we're really going to have some bullishness in milk. That's something I would watch very carefully in the first quarter.
1: Demand domestically, seasonally, we typically see that pickup right now. Are we seeing that with, with, with butter? And what is the situation with cheese, Phil?
2: Well, on butter, I think that, you know, the numbers are okay, but they're nothing spectacular. Record high prices don't help from a consumer perspective. And one of my theories is that I, I think consumers in the position they're in are not stocking up. So there's less pantry stocking today. And so instead of buying three pounds of butter because it's on sale, they might be buying
1: two or one. Are you worried about that demand, though, as we continue into next year domestically? I don't think it's get a lot better or worse. I'm sorry. No, that's, yeah, you don't think good. it's going to get a lot better or worse? Yeah.
8: I I think the butter, we almost saw it this year, fill with a carryover effect into the spring because of that limited buying in the fall. I'm a little bit more worried on the cheese side of things. We typically would see seasonally high prices here in the fourth quarter, and, and we just haven't been able to get traction on cheese, which is a little bit concerning to me.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the consumer is strapped. And, you know, student loan payments, you know, reduced government benefits, a whole long, long, higher interest rates, a long list of items. And, you know, if you look at the big three or, you know, big three public pizza companies, none of them had a great third quarter. And, you know, I mean, I think that the consumer is just backed into a corner and they're dialing it down a little bit.
1: All right, well, we have a lot more to talk about. But first, we need to take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. (laughs) bit of an elephant in the room at any conference that i've been to lately settling estates that's john's world this week
5: farmers have struggled with the same business and family problem essentially forever what happens to the farm when parents die the conflict between fairness and equality has never been truly resolved except for the very wealthy and not all for all of them either For most farms, the hard facts of long division mean too many heirs dealing with too few hard-to-divide assets. When the bulk of those assets are acres, and those acres are operated by one of the heirs, agreeing on what a successful solution to the division of wealth looks like can elude even seemingly happy and loving families. Legal and financial experts make comfortable careers, From assuring one of those heirs their interpretation of what is just is right, I have spoken before about how for centuries this debate was determined by the law of primogeniture. The eldest son takes all. Once women achieved largely equal rights and such laws were repealed, the arguments really began and many families never recovered. For parents who have struggled to successfully accumulate a viable farm acreage, multiple children present a value judgment, weighing the integrity of that land and farm against their affection for those offspring. It's small wonder being able to blame the law of primogeniture became the default solution. Parents had an ironclad out. Hey, it's the law. I have marveled throughout my life. At what I considered blatantly unfair, inefficient, or illogical estate divisions until I realized I never really understood the family dynamics and private history that underlay such allocations. Even those instances where great care was made to be as even-handed as possible often ended up with fractured family relationships and precarious farm viability it has been discouraging to witness estates are almost never just an economic problem to be solved for the heirs and even the parents dividing the wealth serves other purposes from offsetting the life challenges and needs of each offspring to delivering an emotional message of approval or reprimand who gets what will be interpreted by the heirs this way regardless. If ambiguity in the will invites misinterpretation, or sadly, litigation, the quiet truth about these wealth transitions becomes obvious. Settling estates too often ends up about settling scores.
1: So true. Thanks, John. Well, we need to take a quick break and then track our tales with Machina Rupee. That's next.
0: Tractor Tales on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Farmall. 100 years of milestones, community, and memories. Since 1923, it's been the one for all. Celebrate with Case IH at Farmall100.com.
9: Tractor tail time, folks, and
6: we are headed to Kansas to visit with Melvin Snoke about his International 656. I wanted something with a loader that I could put up a machine shed without climbing on the ladder all the time and push some brush and move some dirt. And moving dirt with a tricycle tractor without power steering is not a good way. So I bought this and uh, that's about all I do if this one is, is use it on the front end loader. Um, yes, the loader's a little big for a tractor, so I made my own brackets to kind of adapt it out to the wider body. Uh, but that's the primary use for this one is just to uh, front end loader. I do have a rear blade for it. It's got the real three point on the back. Uh, I've got a plow that I have used to plow up some terraces, fill in some mud holes, but it's primarily just for uh, conservation repair. When I went off to college, the biggest tractor dad had was a 560, and this is. Basically the same thing, only the wider hood and newer design and newer brakes and all that stuff. It makes me think back when I was finishing high school and in college. I act more like my dad all the time. I look back, I guess it rubbed off. And I hope that's what happens to the next generation, that it too rubs off the the values, the work ethic, the the pride of, uh, you know, taking care of stuff. keeping the keeping old stuff
1: running. Dairy producers from across the country are embracing technology on the farm, but for one Wisconsin dairy, they're not only embracing the change, they're often the conduit. We travel to Pagels Ponderosa Dairy for a Farm Journal report next.
0: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report trusted timely tradition
1: well we debuted something new here at the 2023 milk business conference awards to honor an outstanding young producer and employee excellence award as well as the leader in technology this year's milk business leader in technology winner is no stranger to change
10: it's another busy day
11: at pagel's ponderosa dairy in kewanee wisconsin
10: So we try to make everything as comfortable for our people and as comfortable for our animals as possible. A mantra the family has been following since the early days of this operation. In 1946, our grandfather returned from World War II and him and our grandma borrowed some money from a neighbor and we started with eight cows and some pigs and some chickens. Today, the farm milks thousands of cows across multiple locations and technology is a big part of the day to day. Our dad and our grandfather were both very aggressive using of technology.
2: I love standing up here on the platform, watching the rotary go around. You see the cows milking, you see them chewing their cud. Anytime a cow is just standing there relaxed chewing her cud, you know she's feeling good. That, that makes you feel good.
11: Veterinarian Dr. Don Niles has worked with the Pagels since 1983.
2: So John and I would start traveling the country to go look at other dairies, um, other equipment, other things that we might use to modernize our dairies here in Kewanee County.
11: From the beginning, the goal and the dream of John Pagel was to be the best.
10: So we wanted to grow, we wanted to make our farm uh, one of the top in the country. And so what we did is we, we uh, learned from the best people in the industry to do the best job we could do to take care of our cows the best that we could. That was
11: John in 2017 when he was a finalist for Top Producer of the Year. A year later, he and son-in-law Steve Witspollick and a pilot were lost in a plane crash in Indiana his vision for the farm and his family lives on. The one thing that John
4: you know, helped teach us and that we're able to carry on is putting the cows first
11: and taking the best care of, of the cows that we can. Chris Seidel joined Pagel's Ponderosa as a nighttime milking technician in 1995. Today, he manages both the Pagel Ponderosa and Hilltop Farm Dairies overseeing three different parlors and 65 employees. Just
4: Anything that uh, will reduce stress and make them uh, more
11: comfortable is the key for us. That means reducing headlock times, giving cows more time to walk and lay down, utilizing comfortable flooring, rubber mats, and clean
4: bedding. So in the past, we would have people outside to separate the cows that we need, and now the sort gates we can type into the uh, dairy comp system. That talks to SCR, which talks to the sort gates, and we're able to automatically separate cows that we need.
11: A system built by Parlor Boss and Sense Hub work together in the rotary to allow the team to perform many herd management tasks while cows are being milked.
10: When we started with the SCR collar technology, we started with it and within three weeks, Chris goes, all right, JJ, we're getting rid of spray paint. And I'm like, let's not get the cart before the horse. He goes, it's the only way we'll know if it works. The technology is doing a great job of letting us know which cows
4: need attention. If a cow is coming into heat, the technology lets us know that. If a cow's not feeling well, the technology is going to let us know that. And it gives us the information in real
11: time. Out in the barn, temperature control systems help optimize temperature, keeping cows cool and fly free.
4: We have people from all over the country and all over the world that come in and, and we like to help educate the people that stop by the dairy and you know this is what's working for us and this isn't and try to be honest with them and, and share the technology.
11: Constantly looking at technology and other industries is also helping the team to innovate. They recently implemented a pulse needle free disposable injector from the swine industry looked at wastewater treatment plants in city municipalities, and tried a bedding dryer from the sawmill and wood industries.
10: It's very, very cool to see, as hard as the guys and gals on, on Chris's team work, to see them get recognition for all the things they do, because for the hundred things we do right, there's always some things that happen and go wrong, but they're always willing to put themselves out there and try it, and they go all in.
2: When we do the work day in and day out, you tend to think it becomes pretty routine, and then when we have opportunities like this or an award for, for Chris and the team like this, it tells you that maybe it's a little bit special here.
11: A special place with a special bond, willing to attempt the unknown.
2: I see I see a little bit of John in everything that goes on here still.
11: Congratulations to Chris Seidel and the team at Pagels Ponderosa Dairy, winners of the 2023
1: Leaders in Technology Award. Thank you, Clinton. And we'll introduce you to the other two winners in the coming weeks. But up next, could beef prices continue to soar in 2024? And is that the biggest opportunity for dairy producers in the new year? Our marketing roundtable is next.
5: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Lamar's Toy Store, the largest and most diversified farm toy store in the U.S. They have new and old, and new restorations and customizations too. You need to see it to believe it. Visit lamartoystore.com or call us at 712-546-4305.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Dan, you mentioned that you're still bullish when it comes to beef. So do you think the biggest opportunity for dairy producers, do you think it's still beef on dairy?
3: I I really do. I think as you look at the U.S. beef cow herd, and we're looking at its lowest number since 1962, we need the dairymen to provide the crosses or the dairy beef going forward. I don't see anybody in the the beef industry really expanding the cow-calf operation. So... There are age limitations, there's capital limitations, and with that, we need the dairy industry to step up, especially with sex semen and the ability to breed, you know, let's say the bottom 20% of the herd to uh, cross, if you will, to produce that kind of calf that's worth a couple hundred dollars rather than 18 or 20 dollars for a wet bull calf.
1: We had seen some pressure on cattle prices. You think that's just a blip in the road?
3: Yeah, we, we, we really saw the pressure. What happened nearby is that we had the cattle industry Uh, Build bigger carcasses at the same time that we added some placements now as we go forward placement numbers drop all the way into summer And I believe that we're going to pull animals forward So today the cash markets trading above where Chicago futures are Which means we start to pull the animals that were needing to go to market in October November into December and January So I think that story will emerge and I'm very bullish as we look towards the spring
1: But when you look at some of our biggest competitors on a global scale, New Zealand, Europe, New New Zealand specifically, is it pretty much a given that we are going to see them to continue to decline with milk production?
8: We've done a lot of work on this at Rabobank. And when we look at some of the challenges that our key competitors are facing, so whether it's sustainability or regulatory, we do foresee uh, production in Europe and New Zealand declining. In the longer term, it creates a tremendous opportunity for the US to capture those export markets to continue to grow our export share and capitalize on what we think is also growing global demand for dairy around the world.
1: So you think the US is in the best position to take advantage?
8: I think that we are in the best position and in fact, we even foresee kind of a demand gap that we don't know who around the world is going to be able to supply what we foresee as growing global demand by say 2030 or even beyond as uh, our competitors decline their milk production.
1: Phil, I asked Dan what the biggest opportunity he thought was for dairy producers. And of course, we we talked beef on dairy. But other than beef on dairy, what do you think is going to be the biggest opportunity that these dairy producers can take advantage of in 2024?
2: Well, I I mean, I think that export markets are so vital. And, you know, I think we're finally starting to see European milk production get down to a level where we're seeing prices near catch hold. Maybe the European economies, you know, maybe have bottomed out. And so I, I think that you know, right now, we can get export business when cheese is $1.50. That's not very exciting for the U.S. dairy farmer. Um, I see that floor going up next year. So even if prices don't skyrocket, there's a higher, like a higher floor in prices. Uh, and I think the protein space is incredible. Uh, the whey proteins, if you look at it, whey protein isolate, whey protein concentrate, the stuff you buy in nutrition stores or whatever, those prices are really elevated historically, and the demand has been rock solid You know, the demand numbers haven't buckled under the weight of high prices. And so it's been a weird wholesale market this year. But for dairy farmers, the whey market, I think, is a bright spot for 2024.
1: When you look at the US dollar, that's definitely been a weight on exports. Dan, we just saw the biggest monthly decline that we've seen in the US dollar index since November of 2022. But how much more do we need to see this dollar index come down to really propel some of this export demand?
3: Unfortunately, it's more percentage points, but I can tell you that the hedge fund industry is starting to look at the raw material space again. And so if you think about money coming into our futures markets or Chicago, it's been leaving since May of 2022. It's now starting to say, well, maybe there's an opportunity as we look towards a new year. So if the dollar keeps falling, it pressures farmers overseas, keeps their production down. And it in- incentivizes maybe a better export story here in the U.S. And the interest
2: rates matter in that picture, too, right? Oh, From absolutely. That, yeah.
3: I mean, the interest rates, have, I think, stopped going up, Phil, in my, my thought process. The question is, do they come down? And I, I don't know how fast that happens because we still have a very strong wage and, and employment picture here in the United States.
1: Phil, h- how long typically does it take for us, once we see the softening of the U.S. dollar, then to, to really show up in our export markets?
2: I I think the the story has multiple layers. I think it always matters who has product and who doesn't more than the value of the U.S. dollar. So I think the U.S. dollar dictates overall pricing maybe at a high level. I don't know that it makes, you know, we have to be more competitive so i think we got a few percentage points to go
8: and i think maybe to wrap this up as we look towards mexico our biggest customer for u.s dairy yes. we had a tremendous year this year regardless of declining demand in other parts of the world and that's going to be the bright spot going forward but Mexico had a very strong peso over the co2 that's There's true an outlier. that helps.
1: all right well we appreciate all of you being on the show this weekend all right we need to take another break and then we'll be back with more u.s farm Report.
0: The Cotton Harvest Tour on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Delta Pine. Dedicated to cotton, committed to you.
1: Well, drought and high heat, that combo really put a damper on crop production in West Texas and the Texas Panhandle this year. And as we wrap up our 2023 Delta Pine Cotton Harvest Tour, it's those weather extremes that wiped out hopes of a dry crop in the area early on. No matter where you go in West Texas this year.
12: This year was just kind of a devastating year.
1: The story is the same. This is my 49th crop,
9: and it's been the toughest one to make.
1: The 2023 cotton crop is one these farmers would like to forget.
12: I've talked to a lot of my farmer friends about that. It's one of they things, let's get this one behind us, get it out of the books, and let's get on to a better one.
1: Bobby Rackler says everything that could go wrong this year did.
12: Just everything went against it.
9: 46 days of over 100 degrees. No humidity.
1: The combination of heat and drought dried up hopes of growing a crop. Casey Jones's farm ground is right on the edge of Lubbock and he says 2023 ended up producing a lot of similarities to 2022.
12: You know we started off really dry and windy. From all the way from February, March, April, we had heavy sustaining winds of 82 mile an hour straight line winds.
1: After winds and drought, demolished cover crops and winter wheat area farmers had planted late last year. They finally saw some rain that delayed planting.
12: 13 inches rain in May and you know, really thought that was going to be change our luck a little bit and kind of go into a summer that was actually wet,
1: but that relief was extremely short lived as the summer weather zapped the moisture that came in May.
12: We sustained 100 degrees for 60 days plus, and so you to understand. I mean, people don't do good in 100 degrees. so You can imagine what plants do with limited water or you know, even excessive water it's, it's really tough. The
1: fields of what these farmers are harvesting now are all that's left.
12: Everyone I've talked
9: to they're all disappointed. Uh, their yields are way down. Some of them lost all of it and they're not even harvesting.
1: Fields that have no irrigation didn't even survive the harsh weather this year.
9: The dry land is a total failure. And like I said, all this irrigated is making a half of what it usually makes. Usually a normal year this drip, two gallon drip will make three bales, but this year it's only making about a bale and a half near as we can tell.
1: With delayed planting and then warm weather, this fall that delayed their first freeze, harvest is running a couple weeks behind right now. But Jones thinks with such a dismal crop, harvest on his farm may only last a week.
12: I've heard that across the board around here. that it's about two bells, two and a quarter on drip, and then I've got some pivots that'll probably go anywhere between a bell and a bell and a half.
1: As cotton prices drop, these farmers know profits will be slim. But in this area of the country, they also have to protect one of the most precious resources they have.
9: We started the first drip in 2008. It was just a better usage of the water, uh, no evaporation. I I was skeptical at first, but uh, I found out, yeah, it'll work. And it, it stretched our water a lot more.
1: Rackler says this farm used to have three pivots, pumping 1,200 gallons a minute.
9: I'm down to 500 gallons on these same wells, and uh, it's just stretching your water further and utilizing it the best way you can.
1: But drip irrigation comes with a cost, as it's double the price of pivot irrigation systems. Yet it's those investments these farmers hope will pay off longer term.
12: It's kind of the rule of 10. You know you're you're going to get several good years in there. You're going to get a lot of bad years and you've got to make sure to manage those bad years with the good years.
1: Investing in the future while also surviving the harsh realities of 2023. Jones says there's only one way to summarize the year that West Texas farmers just endured.
12: Let's wait for next year.
1: Well, <laughs> When we come back, customer support this weekend. Agriculture's role in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. That's customer support this weekend.
5: From Greg Wegener in Overland Park, Kansas. John Kerry recently said agriculture generates 10 to 12 percent of all greenhouse gases. The food business as a whole generates one-third of all global emissions. We cannot get to net zero unless ag is front and center as part of the solution. You cannot warm the planet and still expect to feed it. Agriculture has made vast improvements in productivity. As the world population grows, how can we achieve what John Kerry expects? Well, frankly, Greg, I don't think we will meet any of the emissions goals. This serious threat to how we live has become political to the extent that it's possible we will not just abandon the effort here in the U.S., but undo some of the progress already made. It will take more and worse Phoenix summers, severe crop failures, and complete unavailability of home insurance in fire and hurricane areas before even grudging acknowledgement of a problem will come about. Even then, assigning blame to GHG emissions will remain controversial for many. By that time, we could be long past climate tipping points and facing more serious consequences. As for the figures you quote, Researching Ag's contribution to emissions produces a bakery of pie charts. The 10 to 12 percent share for Ag is for the U.S. only. Globally, the number is around 24 percent. The animal sector contributes the largest share and cattle the biggest part of that, especially when feed production emissions are added in. You can find other estimates, but these appear to be in the mainstream. This spotlight on beef, and to a lesser extent dairy, accounts for many of my doubts about meeting the emissions goals, at least in agriculture. Consumers like beef, and with that enormous industry, will resist any persuasion to reduce consumption. The bright spot may be other sectors reducing their emissions faster than expected. Sheer economics and advancing technology will drive power generation's emissions down, I think. Even a modest proportion of EVs will do the same for the transportation share. While I am pessimistic about rapidly slowing emissions in ag, I do think population decline will occur sooner and faster than forecast. Now, anyway, so fewer humans will be contributing and having to adapt with difficulty to a different climate. Whether GHG emission reductions then can reverse the warming trend is debatable, though.
1: Thanks, John. Well, the dairy industry is on the leading edge when it comes to reducing emissions. You talk to the dairy industry, whether it's producers or agribusinesses here at Milk Business Conference. Dairy farmers are not the problem when it comes to meeting climate goals. They are part of the solution. Well, one of the biggest pain points for dairy producers, labor. And one dairy is getting creative, and that may be the secret to their labor success. We have that story next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Tyrannus, moving the acre forward. Every acre tells a story. Find yours at acreforward.com. That's acreforward.com. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Tandovo Soybean Herbicide, raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time.
1: Dairy is a sector of ag that's been labor tight for decades and now with immigration and border issues, it's a topic getting even more political. But according to Jackie Klippenstein of Dairy Farmers of America, the only way to possibly make meaningful change may be to stop talking about it as an immigration issue. I believe we need to separate the issue of immigration from farm labor because when we talk about immigration, it's very emotional for a lot of people and it means something different for everybody. In in dairy and in agriculture, we're looking at trying to find people that want to come work on on our farm. It's a different story. It's about visas. It's about making sure we've got folks on the operation who can deliver the nutrition that consumers want. It's not an immigration story. Well, dairy farmers are having to get creative in how to attract and retain employees. Just take Wisconsin dairy farmer Kitty Grinstead as an example. There's not one single ingredient to um, retaining and and, uh, keeping employees. It takes a big mixture of a lot of different ingredients put together. From a rideshare program to also cooking hot meals during their busy times on the farm, Grinstead is trying several different things, but one of the most successful programs they've implemented is helping employees beyond the farm. I think so far my favorite has been the English classes. Something brand new to the farm that we started was um, offering English classes. And seeing the teamwork, the excitement, the enthusiasm of the employees working together to try to learn English has been awesome. It's the little thing that can pay dividends in the end. Thanks, Katie. Well, that does it for U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Thank you for watching. Be sure to tune in next weekend. We're back in the studio, finally and will work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.